Like I won't go search out candy, but if it's accessible or around, I'm going to eat it. <laughs> so I've got to have some conversations with people here in the office to quit leaving this stuff around. I'm currently eating a handful of uh, hot tamales, which I like anything cinnamon first, but then um, I do like more of the sweet and sour stuff, you know, Sour Patch Kids and Airheads and, and stuff like that. I, what word is your go-to? I appreciate the hot tamale aspect of it. I really like the kind of the spicy and sweet. I also like savory and sweet, but I have to say, Reed, my go-to always, anything with peanut butter and chocolate. Well, okay, so do you go peanut M&M or peanut butter M&M? That's a hard choice. I will say peanut butter M&Ms is starting to lead the pack. Peanut M&Ms are always the go-to, though, when you're on a road trip. Yeah, I would always get peanut M&Ms. My little one now goes to peanut butter M&Ms, which is the red package. And somebody misheard her on one of our road trips and got peanut M&Ms, and she was not super thrilled. Buying habits. I don't know if this is like a persona or something. Like, I start sketching this out. Maybe I should do that. Have like a persona for all of my kids. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 351. That's Chris Boyer. I am Reed Smith. <laughs> Don't mind me. I have a mouthful of peanut M&Ms right now. I'm kind of eating up my uh, my quick lunch today. Yeah. Well, uh, next time I go to Alabama, maybe I'll get some boiled peanut M&Ms. Is that possible? <laughs> if that's possible, I think you have a new business strategy here. <laughs> it be hard to keep the chocolate on there, I want to <laughs> think. But anyway... Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Touchpoint. Quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. That's where you can check out more about the show, previous episodes, etc. Quite honestly, you can also do that anywhere that you listen to a podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcast, etc. So be sure to do that. Rate, review, subscribe, number one way that it helps us uh, and lets other people find the show. However, when you do go to the website, there's something called the TPS report. Name, email address will get you an email each Monday morning with five articles to start your week. Hopefully, you'll find that a little value add for you, the listener. So we will pause here while you go do that. Again, touchpoint.health. Okay, Reed, today is going to be a bit of a retrospective episode, an episode where we look back and kind of talk about history. <laughs> Are you looking forward to this one? Yeah. A little walk down memory lane, if you kind will. Kind of, yeah, yeah. But it's all in the framework of digital healthcare consumerism. Every episode we've talked about, Reed, since we started the show, is around the trends around digital healthcare consumerism. But it's interesting when we kind of look back to see how things have changed over the last three decades. Things have changed significantly. And so uh, today, uh, we, we're going to go a little bit deeper into it and just kind of talk about some of the high-level trends, some chronology around what's happening and some of the major milestones and then at the end of this episode, we're going to have a really good interview with our good friends over at Greystone, uh, Kathy Divis and Mike Schneider, who are going to talk a little bit about how they've seen digital change over the years and how it's going to impact their conference coming up, the Healthcare Internet Conference nice. in November. Seems like a good episode on, on tap today.
Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Absolutely. Well, let's jump in. We're first going to talk about exactly what you just said, you know, what digital healthcare uh, has really become over the last couple of years, more specifically, I guess, last couple of decades even, both from the perspective of the consumer as well as directly the technology, kind of how it's evolved and, and that kind of thing. I always think that, you know, whenever you talk about evolution of technology, it's so technology focused, but you and I both know that the consumer drives the advancements that's happening in our industry. And it's true, healthcare, our health systems, our hospitals, our provider organizations, even, you know, I would even argue that pharma and med device and other companies, from a, a, a technology perspective, adoption perspective, we tend to lag behind other industries. And that's because our consumers tend to have different expectations when they go into a care encounter. But that's starting to rapidly merge. And so we really do need to be aware of what some of those consumer trends are. So let's start first with that, Reed. We kind of outlined a few factors from a consumer perspective that's really been shaping the evolution of this concept of healthcare consumerism. Let's go through them. So starting off, kicking off, we've got convenience. Again, not not probably earth shattering to anybody listening. You know, what's important to a consumer? Convenience is. So digital healthcare tools obviously uh, have aided or fueled this. You know, they've allowed, you think like virtual care, for example. So helpful for people in rural areas uh, and really not even rural areas. Maybe it's just maybe it's after hours, weekends, or just simply you would prefer it. Rock Health found that 65% of consumers reported using telehealth services because they were more convenient than the traditional healthcare services. So, again, purely about convenience, uh, but that is a, a big piece for folks. Yeah, absolutely. You and I have gone around about this so many times. It's like, how do you make the overall experience much more convenient for people? But a second piece around this, and we've talked about consumerism for years now, and we know that this is one of those drivers, affordability. Digital healthcare tools and services are often more affordable than traditional healthcare services. And why that's important is twofold, Reed. First of all, from a out-of-pocket consumeristic perspective, that makes more sense, right? Because we're consumers are taking more now with high deductible plans. Their share of wallet in the overall healthcare experience is significant, and it's we we cannot understate that. This is one of those drivers that can really influence how they shape their behavior. The other flip side of affordability, though, is for us in the healthcare systems, 
we want to make sure that these solutions are affordable as well because we have a high technology investment overhead and anything we could do to kind of drive down those costs it makes sense there's a study that we found by rand corporation that illustrated this really clearly right telehealth visits were 16 percent less expensive than in-person visits for medicare beneficiaries so people on medicare are paying 16 percent less out of pocket than going in person So that's kind of profound. Third on the list, transparency. Uh, We've talked a lot about this as a topic, certainly, and many of you listening have probably had to deal with this, kind of the execution against the idea, I guess. But digital healthcare tools and services, uh, they help consumers better understand their options. We think about our websites and and price transparency most acutely, but even uh, ratings, reviews, things like that. But there's an Accenture study, and and it found that 75% of consumers uh, say they'd be more likely to choose a healthcare provider that offered them access to their health data, which is kind of interesting, I guess. But again, transparency, you know, the the idea of understanding your options and what's going on and, and what to expect is important. Well, I think this is a big driver, too. We, we talked about the CARES Act. The CARES Act passed this year, and it's in part to meet the needs of healthcare consumerism being able to get your information that much more quicker, right? And, you know, that's a big component here of what the CARES Act is trying to do. And that's why you're starting to get your lab reports much quicker, even sometimes quicker than the doctor can let you know and interpret those results. But it's also increased access to health insurance and affordability and, you know, even preventative care. All of these things kind of come together around this concept of being transparent to the consumer and meeting that need of the new healthcare patient. And of course, digital is right in the center of that. And that leads us, Reed, to the last and probably most profound driver or trend that's driving healthcare consumerism from the consumer perspective. And that's choice. You know, people like convenience. Uh, I, w- I would argue that that could be part of choice, right? But affordability and transparency probably kind of fuel the choice you ultimately make. Well, and convenience for that matter, but digital healthcare tools and services that, you know, they give consumers a choice about how they manage their health. So again, you could see a telemedicine doctor versus showing up in person or you could order medicine online or, you know, I think we've mentioned some of the more retail applications of healthcare in recent weeks. Uh, but a McKinsey and Company uh, study found that 78% of consumers said that they want more control over their healthcare decisions. And that's why we have this now, like, seemingly a drive towards an open marketplace of where consumers can make those choices. You know, of course, health insurance still kind of governs where you can make your choices, but this whole concept around choice and self service is really profound. Now, related to the consumer drivers, there's also advancements in technology. So let's talk about those, some of those advancements in digital health that have driven this healthcare consumerism. And the first is this concept of mobile computing or having a smartphone in your pocket, which, you know, a study by Pew Research Center said that 85% of Americans own a smartphone and they use it to access the internet on a regular basis. So naturally, that technological advancement it suddenly made it that we need to be able to, as a health system, 
reach that consumer through that device that's most convenient and accessible to them, the phone that's in their pocket. Also, kind of the advancements around cloud computing. Um, so we've you know heard about the cloud, you know, forever, and everything's moved to the cloud. But it's what it's really done for healthcare providers um, is allowed them to develop and deploy tools and services uh, at scale. Right, you're not having to host things on prem, so to speak. And so, a study by Gartner found that global cloud computing market is expected to reach 482 billion with a B. That seems like a lot of money. Uh, last last <laughs> time I checked, um, that seems like a lot. Again, it's not just the rise of mobile computing, everybody walking around with phones in their pockets, but it's also the ability to support that ecosystem through the scalable you know, world, which is the cloud. And that, as we talked about when we were talking about AI and the advancements of AI, we couldn't get past an episode without talking about AI reads. So do we know? Yes, here it we is. Go. We're talking it's about it. ring the bell. There it's we these go. new digital health technologies that are springing up everywhere we go. Uh, a huge growth in the VC marketplace right now, as you probably know, a huge investment in digital health technologies. But other things like the wearable devices, the Fitbits and the Apple Watches and things like that. And then, of course, AI are enabling consumers now to be able to have more control over their health data, to be able to leverage and make more informed healthcare decisions in new ways. And substantially then, you know, we see that this is why we have this really great gold rush almost to adopting digital health technologies. And, you know, and there's there's an explosion that's going on. In fact, a study by Frost and Sullivan found that the global wearable markets device is expected to reach $102 billion by 2023. Mm. That's another big dollar amount there, too, right? Between the last two figures that we said, I mean, that's over $500 billion. That is driving healthcare consumerism. You know, I'm just trying to allow people in our markets to get care when they want to have it and do things themselves. But that's what's powering all of that, right? Or the ability to do it, I guess. Right. Absolutely. You know, these are the things that are kind of driving this concept of healthcare consumerism. But let's do this, Reed. Let's take a break here. And when we come back, let's talk a little bit about some of the chronology of how digital marketing, where you and I both started. Well, we didn't originally start there, but when we got into this space and started doing this podcast, let's talk a little bit about how digital marketing has evolved over the years and some of the major milestones there. We'll do that right after this pause. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right. So how did we get here? I think this is uh, an interesting place, right? I mean, we've talked some about this. I even kind of did some presentations back in the day on uh, the evolving technology landscape. Now, this is more around the CIO perspective about what they did 
as a CIO versus what they're responsible for now. You know, this is not just about upgrading to the newest version of Microsoft and desktop support and that kind of thing, right? So let's jump in here. We'll talk a little bit about, you know, the kind of the last 20, you know, kind of key milestones over the last 20, 30 years. And so, you know, we'll start in the 90s, broadly start in the 90s uh, <laughs> with just the, uh, the rise of the internet, Ooh. right? Everybody's passing around a, a CD and, dial up and all that kind of stuff. But it, that's really when it became accessible to the public. Uh, maybe not well, but it was it was there, right? Yeah. And uh, you could actually sort of quasi-develop websites and some of those types of things. People then started emailing folks and kind of reaching out proactively through kind of these online mediums because people started getting email addresses, right? I got my first one kind of in the mid-90s. That's when we started seeing some of that uh, start to initially kind of kick off, at least at a, at a scale of which you know, we would consider meaningful. Boy, I'm, my first email address, I think it was a GeoCities email address way back when in those days in the 90s. But yeah, think about it back then, right? The internet was like basically a, a series of online brochures. Email marketing was basically, hey, we're able to email and communicate, but it wasn't very sophisticated. It isn't what it is today, right? It was just very simple stuff. Now, in the 2000s, so flash forward 10 years to the next decade, we had a couple of major things that are happening here as well. The rise of social media. This is where you and I read. We got to know each other over this, right? Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn became very popular in the 2000s. And healthcare organizations began to use them. I think in the late 2000s is when you and I were out there advocating significantly for them to make it part of their, their service offering. In addition, that's when the iPhone came around. So the smartphone was introduced. And then we started to realize there's this thing like mobile apps and websites that are mobile friendly that are ways that we can actually start to talk to people over their mobile devices. Again, this is the 2000s. So it was way back, mm-hmm. right? And then there were two other things that kind of happened in the 2003. What were they? We started talking about patient experience, for one. You know, we started having this idea. And I think that's when the chief experience officer thing kind of came around initially. Is that right, maybe? And that may have been in the 10s. But anyway, broadly speaking, the PX space became a thing, right? You think about like the Studer Group or the Baptist Leadership Group. Barrel Institute, you know, these types of things, these organizations looking at, you know, really holistically what that experience was for the patient really became something people started to focus on programmatically. That's the 2000s. Gosh, the 2000s. That's not too long ago. It doesn't feel too long ago, but <laughs> it's, it's a long, this is one of those, I think we get into that whole thing where like, you know, you think back to an old movie, like Back to the Future, and they really went back, it'd be like us going back to like, you know, 2009 or something, you know, it's like, it's like whiplash. But, but anyway, jumping into the 2010s, I think what happened is, is we forget that like the zero to nine existed. And so you kind of start with the 10s <laughs> or something. <laughs> but in the 2010s is when when AI really starts to to kind of pop up and, and become a thing, right? We're starting to automate a little bit, like email campaigns, for example, video marketing, you know, video becomes more attainable to some extent. You know, the cost has gone down. I think obviously because of smartphones. Would the iPhone come out in like 07 maybe or something like that? So we're starting to get like, you know, phones that can take video. Of course, you and I with the flip cameras at Mayo, you know, I mean, that was like a that was a thing about that time. So but but again, 
people started creating video a lot of because of Facebook and these you know mediums like Twitter that accepted video it just made it a little more accessible and something that we could actually do. Yeah. And not to mention too, that the broadband was there, right? So you were able to not only serve videos up online, but people were able to view them without a significant lag on their end. Uh, Two other major milestones that occurred in the 2010s, analytics came to light. I remember back in the 2010s, the early stages of Google Analytics, you had like maybe seven different things that you were measuring right on your website. But organizations through the 2010s started to use data analytics to better understand how people were interacting with their digital channels and also use that in retrospect to create targeting and persona-driven advertising through digital with targeted communications. In addition, there was this growing thing around mobile health apps or mHealth. Remember the cut? The, the, oh, yeah. M-Health, yeah, right? yeah. mHealth apps and devices. mHealth. Popular. Yeah. Yeah. Is that even a term anymore? With the lowercase m. Remember that, right? Yeah. The lowercase m, capital H. Organizations began to look at and start building apps. And that's, you know, when we were building apps too. You know, I remember building a mobile app of, it uh, was basically a lightweight version of our website that people can download in the app store for my health system, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Now, of course, over the years, towards the end of the 2010s, then we started getting a mobile-friendly uh, website design, etc. But then 2020s occurred. And Reed, we know 2020s are always going to be known for the, the most important thing that happened, right? That is correct. I believe it was the uh, last season of Better Call Saul. Yeah. <laughs> so COVID, obviously, I mean, it kind of blurs that first part of the decade, right? So the you know the the pandemic hits. It obviously accelerates virtual care, for lack of a better word, telehealth, whatever you want to call it. A lot of adoption across the healthcare industry, and and because again, it was more accessible all of a sudden. We could use things like Zoom, for example, to complete some of this that you couldn't really do before. That was the big piece, right? Um, you know, certainly privacy and security have become a hot topic over the last couple of years, 18 months, 24 months. And so, again, focused on protecting patient privacy and security, which has, has really impacted, quote unquote, digital marketing efforts or engagement efforts. AI is another that we're just at the precipice of, really understanding the application of AI. We, we have to understand that that's exactly what's happening in this day and age, right? It's like we're, we're really focusing on this new technology. And then there's one other that we haven't really talked about a lot on our show because I'm not really sure how it's going to play out, but it was mentioned in, one, in an article by Gartner um, that I think we need to mention it here, the metaverse, Ah, oh, the metaverse. Did you say Second Life? <laughs> Isn't it now the third or the fourth life? But yeah, the metaverse and AI are these two technologies. I think AI will probably have a more profound impact in health systems, but the metaverse is one too. And there's a, well, in the show notes, we'll link to an article, like I said, that Accenture did about their view that the metaverse is going to be a significant digital health technology in the future. So those are good milestones, right, over the past four decades. But there were some regulatory milestones that kind of happened as well. Things that happened that also shape our industry. Let's go through those really quick. All right. So quickly, in 2000, the OCR, the Office uh, of Civil Rights, issued guidance around the use of email and healthcare marketing. 
you may be like, wait a minute, did you say 2000? Because that feels more recent than that. Well, just hang on. We'll get to some other ones. 2009, the HIPAA omnibus rule was enacted. And in it, it included provisions around the use of social media in healthcare marketing. Skip ahead a couple of years to 2013, the OCR, here we are again, uh, issued guidance on the use of mobile devices in healthcare marketing. And then just a couple of years later, same OCR group issues guidance on the use of online advertising in healthcare marketing. And then last year, OCR, boy, they're really issuing a lot of guidances here. They issued guidance on HIPAA and third-party tracking. And then uh, let's let's predict what OCR is going to issue guidance on next. I think AI is next. Yeah, the use of chat GPT in healthcare marketing, right? I mean, I think you start filling in, you know, fill in the blank in healthcare marketing, you know, kind of things from the OCR. But but again, it's, it's not all bad stuff. It's just, you know, we're looking at privacy. We're looking at consumer protection, things like that. So you could imagine as, as data becomes more accessible, as it becomes more trackable, uh, what you do in your, your life becomes more trackable. You know, we'll, we'll continue to see, you know, these regulatory updates, I think. Yeah, maybe even guidance on the use of Fitbits and Apple Watches in healthcare. Or there's going to be a pl- plethora of things. The OCR, boy, they got their, their fingers in the middle of what we're doing here. And we need to be aware of, like, why their concerns are. And we've covered it extensively the HIPAA third-party tracking. So that's really interesting. So, well, there you go, Reed. We kind of went back in time, one over the last four decades, you know, from the 1990s, which doesn't seem that long ago, to now. But we're not the only ones that have been in this space for a very long time. After the break, we're going to go to an interview with Kathy Divis and Mike Schneider. And they're talking about their upcoming healthcare internet conference. Now, their conference has been around for nearly three decades. And their conference every annually talks about the advancements of digital in healthcare. And they share their perspective on some of the things they've seen and how that's kind of shaping the conference agenda for this year for the HCIC, which happens in early uh, November. So we'll take a brief pause here. We'll listen to that interview. And then you and I will be back to close out the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back to the Ask the Experts segment of the podcast. And today it's actually going to be called Ask the Experts because I have two experts that we're talking to and people that have been in our space for a very long time know them very well. And that's Kathy Divis and Mike Schneider. Kathy and Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, glad to be here. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Um, You are not only friends of the pod, as we call them, you've been on the show before, but you're very influential in our industry and you actually hold one of the, the best conferences that we have each year annually, the Healthcare Internet Conference that's coming up. And so today we're going to have a great chance to kind of dive into it and talk a little bit about it. But before we jump in, I would love for those people who are listening and that may not know each of you, maybe you could share a little bit about your background. I'm Kathy Divis. I'm president of Greystone Net. 
and I'm one of the original founders of the company back in 1996. So we've been at this for quite a long time. Before we started Greystone, I was on the hospital side, the marketing hospital side, and had marketing jobs at the University of Alabama in Birmingham, at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, and then in Atlanta, where we're based now at Emory University. So I've lived both the provider side and the vendor side, and um, so have a good flavor of what's going on on both sides. Yeah, thanks for having us on the show, Chris. And yeah, I'm excited that we're getting ready to start the 27th annual. And my background um, started with market research in healthcare. So I actually worked for a market research company out of college. And one of our areas of expertise was in healthcare. So I got excited about that, worked at a hospital in Ohio for a while, came to work at Emory Healthcare in Atlanta. And that's where I met Kathy and our other business partner, John Udys. And then we, as Kathy mentioned, started Greystone in, in 1996. And we've been doing the conference ever since then, and it's been so exciting. And I, you know, one of the things I think that we kind of bring to the table is the longevity. So you you could say that we're old, and that would hurt <laughs> my feelings, maybe. But on the <laughs> other hand, you know, we have a lot of experience, and we've seen a lot of this. So you know, it's funny. But when we started the healthcare internet conference, that was the same time as people were debating things about Netscape browsers versus uh, Internet Explorer, and you know. <laughs> Microsoft wow. front page. Should I use it to build a, a website? And now, <laughs> and AOL and dial-up was hot. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Exactly. And what's crazy, Chris, is that some of the things that we talked about in 1996 are still the same in 2023. <laughs> They're different, but you know, a lot of the same issues. People have issues with staffing and budgets and you know, how marketing works together with IT and all of that. So so, some of those things have been around a long time and and we still talk about it. And then, you know, it's exciting because every year there's something different. And obviously this year, as we kind of dig into it, we've got a whole variety of topics that we've never talked about as a group before. So it keeps it exciting. Um, I'm not surprised, Mike, I have to say that, you know, sometimes we talk about the same things. It's like strategy, resource staffing, all of those things seem to be recurrent themes uh, in all my time in healthcare. But I think what happened is, is that our our roles have evolved, have changed. I mean, you know, back when you, you started, yeah, it was AOL. Yeah, it was Internet Explorer, Dreamweaver. But, you know, at, at that point in time, though, digital marketing was just starting to take a foothold in health systems and care delivery. And so um, what have you seen, and Mike, let's start with you, what have you seen as like sort of the general themes of evolution over the years? That's a great question. It's a fun one to talk about. And you use the right word. I mean, it's evolution, right? So it started out, these topics are the same, but they've evolved dramatically. So, you know, in the beginning, the question on the table was, is digital marketing even going to be a thing? You know, I mean, we literally talked to CEOs and senior level clinical leadership and and some folks were, yeah, this is definitely going to be a thing. And there were some folks who were like, yeah, it'll, you know, it'll pass. They, uh, who knows whether this will really take off? In the early years, there was a lot of kind of convincing and discussing and teaching about how digital was really going to become an extension of what we do in marketing and and the two would be 
combine together kind of cohesively. Today, I don't feel like we spend a lot of time teaching that. I think it's more, what's the next thing coming down the pike? You know, how are we going to leverage this technology? What are, what's the latest strategy with digital? So the credibility is there and, and most folks understand the value of it. And some have been late to the table for sure. But, but today it's more, you know, focused on things like techniques and tools and strategies and where will we be two or three years from now? I mean, how do you build something that's sustainable? Obviously, I agree with all of that. I think a lot is the same and everything has changed, if that makes any (laughs) sense at all. You know, we're still worried about doing more with less. We're still worried about how do we prove value. We're still worried about new technology and how we keep up. It's just that in each of those areas, the the level has changed, the ground has shifted. And so a lot of the foundations are the same, but where we're playing is a very different place these days. So when I talk to folks, you know, these days, I think as much as anything, they're worried about how do they keep up? How do they know what's the right tools? What's the right technology? Do they have the right partner and the right solutions? And what are we going to do about, you know, generative AI? And how am I going to, you know, manage my staff? And, and, you know, and then, of course, post-pandemic, now we've added an extra layer of complexity because your staff, if you're a director or a manager or a VP, a CMO, your staff may very well be scattered all over the country. So you've got to figure out how do you manage those people and processes and technologies across some folks that are in the office, some people that are at home, some people that are elsewhere or hybrid. So we've upped the level of complexity uh, dramatically over the last probably five to 10 years. Yeah, I'd say the last five to 10 years uh, since I've been here too has seen some rapid advancements. And in part, I think it's being driven by the actual users of these digital tools and technologies within the care setting, not only patients, but also providers, the physicians, the nursing staff, etc. Really, when we talk about this general concept of healthcare consumerism, I think it's kind of opened the doors to people bringing their experiences from other avenues, other industries into our care setting. And we as uh, digital professionals that sit inside health systems we have to react accordingly, right? We, we have to kind of meet their expectations. Obviously, this rapid shift toward consumerism has dramatically changed our lives as marketers and, and you know, hospital administrators because people are always connected. They have expectations of responses in very quick manners across a hundred different channels, maybe not a hundred, but many different channels. They expect convenience. They expect things to be done on their time and their schedule. They want to be able to go online and schedule an appointment or change an appointment or whatever it might be, get my test results. And so we've got to meet those expectations. And we're being disintermediated by companies like Walmart. And I think I just saw today Costco and Amazon and, you know, all these different companies that are coming in and taking a slice of our business away from us or trying to and adding this layer of convenience to the to the consumer 
we have to play in that field. We can't, we no longer have the excuse of we're different. Healthcare is different. Well, I'm sorry, banking is different too. And finance is different and travel is different, you know, but we've got to be able to play on a level field with these other companies and with the companies that are coming in to do business in healthcare. And I think that's a tremendous burden on the healthcare system right now. Now, I think obviously the pandemic catapulted us ahead in a lot of the digitalization of of our systems, but that doesn't mean that we're at the place where we need to be right now. Well, you know, and so I'm going to go way out there for a second, but (laughs) I, I mean, I think it comes back to the way that our society has changed in the last 10 years or so, you know, whatever that number is. As we lived our lives forever. You know, when you needed a ride somewhere, you took a taxi and you needed to to stay overnight somewhere and you got a hotel room. And then all of a sudden, you know, the the digital avalanche happened and and pretty soon, you know, we're doing Airbnbs and we're uh, doing Uber and we're renting cars. And so what happened is the ability to shift the paradigm changed at a increasing rate. And, and that's the way I think consumers look at healthcare. I mean, they don't accept the answer, here's the way it is, and this is just how you're going to do it. You don't pick up the phone and make a phone call and then get on hold for 30 minutes and wait to make an appointment and be told who you're going to see. Now you, you say as a consumer, you know, I want to pick my doctor and I want to pick someone that speaks my language and is my gender and is this age category and has this kind of experience. And you can do it and we have to deliver it because that's what consumers expect. And consumer expectations around healthcare are continuing to accelerate. So, you know, we talk, it's funny, but we did talk about consumerism 20 years ago. It's just like it seemed like it was never going to happen because we were stuck in kind of the quagmire of how healthcare systems work and how all that happens so slowly. But just like Kathy said, I mean, we have these disintermediaries that have come in. So if you need to get your COVID shot, you can get it anywhere. You can get it at CVS. You can go to Walgreens. You can pick your spot and get your your COVID shot. And a lot of primary care. You can get it anywhere now because, you know, they're willing to deliver it. And digitally, you can go online and you can get access to the information you need and the services that you want. So we're kind of behind the eight ball in healthcare in terms of operations and also marketing because consumers are telling us what they want. And if we don't deliver it, we will be disintermediated by someone else. You know, when Mike was talking about the primary care piece of it really being addressed by the Amazons and the CVSs and the Costcos of the world, that's really a threat to many health systems because your primary care base is the driver of so much business into your organization. So it's not something we can ignore. Yeah. And I want to, I just want to jump on, cause I love this topic. I want to jump onto one thing that, because I saw a, a podcast and I, I think it was a Ted talk, so I'm not sure, but it was the people from Walmart and they were laughing at healthcare and they were saying, you know, what healthcare said to us is you might be able to do that in New York City, but you're never going to be able to do it in rural America because people won't accept it. And he said, that's where we've excelled the greatest because there's a Walmart in rural America all over the country and they trust Walmart. And in many of those cases, they don't really trust their healthcare provider. In, in combination and in alignment to with this kind of evolution of the healthcare consumerism going more and more towards digital. There's also been this influx of the technology that's needed to start to deliver care 
and start to supplement care digitally as well. I mean, broadband internet set of reaching out in the rural communities you just mentioned, Mike, maybe not so much, but there are active plans to get broadband internet, you know, extensively across the United States. There's newer technologies. And Kathy, I know you mentioned earlier, you know, AI, generative AI is being one of them. Suddenly now we've, it's sort of this perfect storm of, we have consumerism rising up to the, to the level where we're at. We now have the technology that's there. We as digital professionals in the healthcare setting, it's our time to shine, right? It's our time to step up. And so I think that, that you know, the, every year when you convene experts at your healthcare internet conference, the energy is palpable. But this year in particular, I feel that we have this unique opportunity in front of us and it feels very exciting. How are you seeing like this year's conference kind of forming around this idea of, you know, digital healthcare really being mainstream? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I Well, I think it's two things that are happening. One is there's a little bit of pent up energy from how we got slowed down during COVID. So we've got folks who are like trying to make up double time for what we were unable to accomplish when we were all you know, stuck in the mud with COVID. And then the second thing is this, you know, big drive to, I would say, consumerism. And then I would also say, you know, almost a, an explosion in technological advancement, or at least another, you know, kind of big blip on in terms of change with technological advancement. And and really where AI has come in to, to make changes with all of this, how, you know, we got EMRs that are playing nicer with the front end of the website or the app. And so, you know, it's it's that kind of combination of a perfect storm that has created a lot of buzz. You know, so when I think about some of the major topics that we have, you know, when we think about the healthcare internet conference this year, it's definitely generative AI. It's definitely, you know, transforming the patient experience. And and you know, it goes beyond just the consumer. I mean, it's it's job seekers and how are we retaining and engaging people and employees within our own organizations? All of that is changing. And then the other thing that I just want to say about it is it's all wrapped up with privacy and technology and how we make that right balance so that we're not putting any data at risk. And at the same time, we're able to unleash some of this technology. And so we're wrestling with that as aggregately as an industry. And I think, you know, when you look at the Internet conference, people are coming to jump on that buzz, but they're also coming to learn about what other organizations are doing so they can help, you know, solve these problems together as a group with their peers. I totally agree with everything Mike said. As, you know, as I look at at, at the conference this year, I think, I think there's an excitement out there that hasn't been out there in a number of years since um, pre-COVID. I think people are really excited to get back together. And we had a good group last year, but this year it even feels more robust. People are just so hungry for not only education and information, but to talk to other people and to understand what other organizations are doing and learning from them. So I think that's a great opportunity. One thing I noticed from the agenda too, is that you have a number of sessions where it really shares how, or where you're having panelists and others talking about how digital experts, digital professionals, which have typically been siloed under marketing or other aspects, are now working with other parts of the business. 
Um, we talked about, you know, like recruitment, but also with the CIOs and the technology people. Tell us a little bit about that, Kathy. You know, last year um, at HCIC, we had two main stage panel discussions, and one was a set of CMOs, and the second was a set of CIOs. Never the two shall meet. Um, And I don't mean that literally, but obviously we had these kind of separate conversations, and they were extremely well um, attended. So this year, we decided to kind of double up on that, and we've got four main stage kind of all audience, you know, presentations, that'll be panel discussions. And one will be CMOs talking about, you know, their current challenges and what they see for the future. The second one will be a combination of CMOs and CIOs talking about how do we work together in digital health and digital marketing and digital everything, digital center? How do we come together? How do we share technology and resources and budgets? And really, can we play well together? So that's going to be a a second main stage presentation that's going to have a couple of CMOs, a couple of CIOs. And then two other main stage presentations that we're going to do this year are two that we just didn't think we could ignore. One is a discussion on generative AI. You know, what is it? How is it used? Um, is it going to wipe out our jobs? You know, how, how should we be uh, leveraging it as marketers and as hospital administrators? And then the last one will be one around privacy and data tracking and security and things that I honestly, when we put this agenda together at the beginning of the year, Chris, I kind of thought that might have been more settled by now, but it, it <laughs> yeah. really isn't. It feels like it's, it feels like, and, and I almost felt the same way about the AI stuff that it might be a little more settled, but I honestly believe that both of them ha- are um, very, very important and and evolving and changing and will be very powerful discussions. Yeah, evolving and changing is right. And in fact, by the time the conference, uh, you know, which is in early November, comes around, we might have four or five more, you know, advancements in both of these areas or these topics, right? Absolutely. Because it, things are moving so quickly. And I also believe that I believe these two will kind of intersect because, Data privacy is all based on how we're trying to regulate and manage and and be safe. And AI is sort of this wild west that's out there right now. Absolutely. And, you know, as we look at the AI piece of it, you know, at at HCIC, we're going to dive into it kind of on all a couple of different levels. We've got the main stage uh, panel discussion with some experts. We've got a master class on a language models 101 kind of class to, with with some folks really going deep into that. We've got some concurrent sessions that are gonna gonna focus on it. it, it there's so many pieces of it that we felt like we had to put it across the the panel because you have the basics of what is it, how do we use it to, you know, like I said before, am I going to lose my job or is it going to help me with my job to, you know, how do we communicate this? How transparent do we become in what's AI generated and what isn't, you know, so there's all those things. And then there's also that whole proprietary notion of if you put something out in AI, it goes into the, or anything, excuse me, if you put something out, how do you protect it so that it's not gobbled into an aggregated, you know, you know, database, and it, you know, is is available to the world to use. So there's so many, so many arms and legs of this. 
Right. I think we're only at the beginning of all of this, right, Mike? This is the open internet just starting in the year 1998 or whatever, you know, (laughs) if you were in 1998 and you had to predict, you know, how collaborative would the internet be in 2023, you'd have a hard time figuring it out and, and, and being able to figure out what the timeline is. And I feel like that's where we are with AI. I mean, it's just the beginning. And, and like Kathy said, I mean, it dives into everything. I mean, it had, it's clinical care. It's how we write content. It's, how we, you know, engage employees. It's how we in real time send the right messages to the right people. It's, it's the patient experience. It's everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And what we thought the internet was going to be in healthcare 27 years ago is a lot different than what we were thinking at that time. And I, I think as we look forward 27 years, we'll probably have a different, uniquely different perspective on both AI and privacy, some of those major themes that you kind of alluded to. The whole concept of digital, it, it's a its a global thing. It's it, Digital is engaged in every aspect of what we do in a hospital, not just marketing. So part of what we deal with, and this is one of those things that I know will be a hot topic at HCIC, is where you draw the line. Because as you pointed out, we are talking to CIOs. We are talking to folks that are in the C-suite. We are talking to clinicians. We are trying to figure out where where do we draw the line? What What's marketing responsible for? What's the digital team responsible for? And then what pieces does HR take? What pieces does IT have responsibility for? And there's no clear answer to all of that. So we're all just figuring this out as it goes along. And AI is going to be the same way. I agree. And I think the best way for us to figure it out all along is kind of convening this team of us as experts, right, in the in the field. And conferences such as HCIC are perfect for, to do that. So one last thing, though, before we kind of wrap up today's conversation, uh, this is the first time you're actually in Los Angeles. This feels a little different because of the location, too. Yeah. You know, I don't know why we haven't been to LA before, but we haven't. And we actually haven't been to many places in California. We seem to only go as far west as Vegas and Arizona most of the time. We're really excited about Los Angeles. We were actually supposed to be there in 2020, but we know what happened that year. So we picked up that contract and moved it to 2023. And so we're excited about it. It gives us access to speakers and organizations that maybe we haven't had in the past or that have been more reluctant to, to travel to the East. So we're, we're really excited about that. Plus the location itself, the, the hotel for the conference, the official hotel for the conference is the JW Marriott at LA Live. And if you haven't been to LA Live or if you have. It's a big kind of plaza um, special events area where they've got stadiums and restaurants. There's probably 20 or 30 restaurants and bars all within walking distance. There's, uh, I'm going to call it the Staples Center, but I think it has a new name now, maybe the Crypto.com Center or something like that. Oh, really? Okay. You know, there's a lot of activity right in that. I think the Grammy Museum is right there. So it's a lot of fun. I know some of our vendors are going to have parties at the Oscar Museum and at the Grammys Museum and at places like that. And you're also holding a big awards ceremony there too, right? 
We are. We've decided to pull together. We throughout the years we've we've had three different awards programs, and we're pulling them together into one program on Sunday night, November fifth. We've always wanted to utilize the the venue of HCIC as an opportunity to recognize people in our industry. Every year, have a, a ceremony for the Healthcare Internet Hall of Fame where we look at folks who over the years have contributed to the industry. And then we also um, have a John Udy's Vision and Excellence Award um, that we give away to someone who has been instrumental in driving excitement and, and building up folks in the industry, teaching, and then also being innovative in our industry. And so that's that's an award that goes to an individual. And then we have the eHealthcare Leadership Awards and that We've had that ceremony every year on uh, usually on the last day of the conference. And it's such a great opportunity. There are so many of the providers that participate that are either nominated or end up winning the award. In the past, the timing has been tough because, you know, we have it on a Wednesday. It's the last day of the conference. So this year we said, let's take all of those, put them into one ceremony and have them to start off the conference with uh, awards and celebration. So that's what we're doing. All of those ceremonies will be held together on, as Kathy said, Sunday, the 5th. And we're really excited to have the award ceremony all as one thing this year. And we're also excited because you've agreed to be the master of ceremonies. That's for, right. Exactly. Uh, really, uh, really awards cool ceremony. The awards program. Yeah. So <laughs> we couldn't be more excited to have you as part of that, that group. And who knows what that's actually going to turn out to be, the hijinks and the, I can only imagine how much fun that's going to be. Uh, yeah, I have to say, I've been thinking about ways to make this a memorable uh, awards event. So I think it'll be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to uh, the upcoming conference. One thing that I really like about moving the awards to the front end of the program is not only is it a way to kind of ease into HCIC and get to see your friends and, you know, kind of have a nice relaxing evening, but it allows us to identify those those winners, those recipients early, so that you have a chance throughout the conference, not only to honor them, but to to talk with them and to learn about what they've done. So absolutely, absolutely. Well, I look forward to, uh, to being there. I look forward to participating in the awards ceremony, but also meeting everyone and seeing everyone in person. It's going to be a really great time. Before we uh, wrap up today's conversation, do you want to share a little bit about where they can go online to register and reserve their hotel and all the fun stuff? The conference is November 5th through the 8th. Um, so that's the first full week of November or the first week of November. And you can go to www.hcic.net to register. And for a hotel room, if you go to the to the conference website, there's a link called Venue and you can register or you can, you can book and reserve a hotel room there. Our discounted rooms are available until Friday, October. Mike and Kathy, um, you guys are great. I love working with you all. I love that we're going to see each other in person again in the near future, very near future. Us too. This will be a lot of fun. And thank you for coming on and sharing a little bit about your experience of what you've seen over the last uh, 26 years and what we look forward to in the future. Thank you for having us. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, you're welcome, Chris. Thanks for having us.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Special thanks to Kathy and Mike for coming on, talking about HCIC. Good folks, good people, good conference, been around forever. Just really appreciate them and what they do for the industry. And and hopefully uh, many of you can make it and support. So. I will be there hosting the, uh, being the MC of the award ceremony. And I'm there on the show. We'll be doing a Touchpoint podcast there. So if you're there, let us know in advance so we can uh, get you on the show. Quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health, TPS report, all that kind of fun stuff. But before we wrap up today, uh, we'll do a couple of recommendations. What uh, what do you have? Reed, I came across a documentary this last week that was on Max, HBO's former streaming service, Max. It's called Telemarketers. Have you heard about this show? Uh-oh. No. Okay, well, you know, we all don't like telemarketers, and particularly of late, I've been getting a ton of telemarketing calls on my cell phone, and I'm trying so hard to avoid these, but they're all over the place. Well, this is a documentary that actually started back in the late 2000s. Two guys were working at a telemarketing agency. It's like, just basically brought their flip cam, I guess, right, to the office and showed these guys just kind of screwing around and how much fun they were having. And it, what they what they realized is that, you know, a lot of people that were working there were people that just got out of jail that couldn't get another normal job, or many of them were drug addicts. In fact, you oh, know, wow. he filmed people like doing drugs while they were doing telemarketing calls. The company they worked for was called Civic Development Group, and they were doing telemarketing for the Fraternal Order of the Police. Oh, wow. They found it to be kind of interesting that... They, these people that were not the, you know, not not what you would call the the most prestigious people, were calling on behalf of police departments across the country, and not only that, they would represent themselves as police officers on the call while they're trying to make the sale, the telemarketing pitch to get people to donate. And this company would pocket ninety percent of the money. Wow! So needless to say, these two guys started to realize that there was something more to this, and they started to basically film a true crime documentary. Now, remember, this is in the 2000s. Flash forward, they started to investigate over the years. They stopped working there, but they started to realize that there was this also this kind of weird partnership with Fraternal Orders of Police and the money that they were getting and, and how that all works because they were kind of complicit. Meanwhile, this company would routinely get uh, fined by the FTC and then close up shop and reopen with a new name, et cetera. And they follow along this whole thing through the years up until last year. They package it all together into a three-part documentary called The Telemarketers. And I'm going to tell you, when you watch it at first, you're like, is this real? And then eventually you start to realize, see these guys evolve and grow and age over the years. And it's just a fascinating documentary into the undercover world of telemarketing. Uh, as they called it, they went Michael Moore style to try to figure out what was going on. <laughs> it was really right. interesting, very entertaining. 
And I would say definitely if you like telemarketers or not like telemarketers, this is a great way to learn a little bit more about the industry. And I feel a little skeezy when I watched it, but I loved it. So that's my recommendation. Well, there you go. I'm also going to recommend a documentary, although it, it's an Amazon original, so it's on it's on Prime. Obviously, it's labeled a documentary, but it's just a single episode or movie. It's an hour and forty two minutes long, so I guess not. It's not episodic. I guess uh, it's called Kelsey K E L C E. And for those that are sports fans, know that that is either Travis Kelsey or Jason Kelsey. Well, this is about NFL All-Pro center Jason Kelsey. He's the center for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's been there forever. He's a big deal. And he started documenting last year what he thought was maybe his final season in the NFL. Mm. And what he accidentally ended up capturing was uh, a really fascinating year in which he – the center for the Eagles and his brother, the tight end for the Chiefs, end up meeting in the Super Bowl. Obviously, there's no way to know this when they started, right? And so it kind of follows him, but also Travis. And I mean, Jason and his wife are pregnant, and he and his brother started a podcast. There's all this stuff that's going on, and it kind of culminates with their mom and at the Super Bowl and all this stuff. Anyway, it's, it's neat. It, it's a, you don't have to be a huge football fan necessarily. So it's kind of behind the scenes a little bit. Cool. Uh, but yeah, Amazon Originals called Kelsey. And for anybody that's paying attention now, Travis Kelsey, which is, I mean, you just can't buy this publicity, or maybe you can. So those <laughs> that are, that are conspiracy theorists, Travis Kelsey is the one dating Taylor Swift now all of a sudden. And is purportedly, the big, purportedly. Yeah, it's all the hoopla and all that stuff. They just happen to have a documentary that just came out, but whatever. So anyway, but yeah, Kelsey, it's, it's a good one. Well, that's great. We'll have to check that out. Add that to our list. Yep. Yep. There you go. Well, very cool. Uh, Again, big thanks to to Kathy and Mike, not for just coming on the show, but for what they do for the industry. Uh, Excited for the conference. Hope everybody gets to make it. Uh, We certainly appreciate the support for the show. Reach out. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got ideas, topics, people we should talk to, et cetera, let us know what that is. We'd like to... um, make sure we throw that in the hopper and and use that as we plan ahead so for chris boyer i'm reed smith and we'll see you next week this has been a touchpoint media production to learn more about this show and others like it please visit us online at touchpoint.health